was eloquent. He didn't understand Sharon's reluctance to spend any more time than absolutely necessary with his mother, and he never had. All right, he finally conceded with a raspy sigh, and when Sharon looked around, he was gone. She missed him sorely. It was with relief that Sharon closed the shop four hours later. After putting down the top on her yellow roadster, she drove out of the mall parking lot. There were precious few days of summer left. It was time to take the kids on the annual shopping safari in search of school clothes. Sharon drew in a deep breath of fresh air and felt better. She passed by shops with quaint facades, a couple of restaurants, a combination drugstore and post office. Port Webster, Nestled on Washington's Puget Sound was a small, picturesque place, and it was growing steadily. On the way to the house she and Tony had designed and planned to share forever, she went by a harbor full of boats with colorful sails bobbing on the blue water, but she didn't notice the view. Her mind was on the craziness of their situation. She really hated moving back and forth between her apartment and that splendid Tudor structure on Tamarack Drive. But the divorce mediators had suggested the plan as a way of giving the children a measure of emotional security. Therefore, she lived in the house three days out of each week for one month, four days the next, alternating with Tony. Sharon suspected that the arrangement made everyone else feel just as disjointed and confused as she did, though no one had confessed to that. It was hard to remember who was supposed to be where and when, but she knew she was going to have to learn to live with the assorted hassles. The only alternative would be a long, bitter custody battle, and she had no legal rights where Brianna was concerned. Tony could simply refuse to allow her to see the child, and that would be like having a part of her soul torn from her. Of course, he hadn't mentioned any such thing, but when it came to divorces, anything could happen. When she reached the house, which stood alone at the end of a long road and was flanked on three sides by towering pine trees, Matt was on his skateboard in the driveway. With his dark hair and eyes, he was, at seven, a miniature version of Tony. At the sight of Sharon, his face lighted up and he flipped the skateboard expertly into one hand. I hear you're grounded, she said, after she'd gotten out of the car and an energetic hug had been exchanged. Matt nodded, his expression glum at the reminder. Yeah, he admitted. It isn't fair, neither. Sharon ruffled his hair as they walked up the stone steps to the massive front doors. I'll be the judge of that, she teased. Exactly what did you do? They were in the entryway, and Sharon tossed her purse onto a gleaming wooden table brought to America by some ancestor of Tony's. She would carry her overnight bag in from the trunk of the roadster later. Well, she prompted when Matt hesitated. I put Brianna's goldfish in the pool, he confessed dismally. He gave Sharon a look of grudging chagrin. How was I supposed to know the chlorine would hurt them? Sharon sighed. Your dad was right to ground you. 
She went on to do her admittedly bad imitation of an old-time gangster, talking out of one side of her mouth. You know the rules, kid. We don't mess with other people's stuff around here. Before Matt could respond to that, Mrs. Harry, the housekeeper, pushed the vacuum across the living room carpet and then switched off the machine to greet Sharon with a big smile. Welcome home, Mrs. Morelli, she said. Sharon's throat felt thick, but she returned the older woman's hello before excusing herself to go upstairs. Walking into the bedroom she had once shared with Tony was no easier than it had been the first night of their separation. There were so many memories. Resolutely, Sharon shed the pearls, pantyhose, and silk dress she'd worn to teddy bears and put them neatly away. Then she pulled jeans, a Seahawks t-shirt, and...